0: Here we are, and we're going to discuss this week, the Three of Swords, the Lord of Sorrow. Um, I've kind of been equally dreading and looking forward to this one, because it's a card that really frightens a lot of people or upsets a lot of people because it seems to have such a grim message. But I think there's a lot more to it than the conventional, you know, one line interpretation is likely to imply. So let's get to it. First of all, It is the Lord of Sorrow, as I said, same in thoughts as it is in in, uh, The Golden Dawn. And sorrow itself is, I think, a a complicated notion because there's so many different reasons a person can be sorrowful, and they're not all tragic, right? We're going to see a lot of descriptions of sorrow as being a specifically maternal quality throughout this card to me, this the sorrow of the three of swords isn't just plain old sadness. it's you know sadder but wiser. There's wisdom that's implied, definitely, you know, maybe because it's associated with Saturn, you know, who doles out hardships but also wisdom over time,
1: yeah, Saturn um known as both the great initiator and the destroyer. <laughs>
0: Saturn is especially strong here. It's a double Saturn. It's a double Saturn. Oh, yes. Yes. So what we mean by that is that it's a three, for one. So that's associated with the Sephira Binah on the Tree of Life, which is associated with Saturn. In the same way, we will have the Four of Swords associated with Chesed and with uh, Jupiter. So, okay, so we have two double
1: cards in a yeah, row here.
0: Yeah, and it's going to actually so be... So this is
1: double because the ruler of the Deccan is also Saturn. Oh, sorry. Yeah,
0: this, the ruler of the Deccan is also Saturn. So this is going to continue through the 5, 6, and 7 of cups and through the 8, 9, and 10 of wands. So there's a cabalistic doubling that goes Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, and the moon. And that goes from the... Three of Swords to the Four of Swords to the Five of Cups to the Six of Cups, Seven of Cups, Eight of Wands, and Nine of Wands. Uh, so if you go back to those episodes, you'll see that we talk about cabalistic doubling in those as well.
1: So ever so much Saturn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Woohoo! double dose of Saturn. That's heavy.
0: Yeah. And what's more, Saturn is exalted in Libra. Uh The actual exaltation degree is, I believe, 21, which yeah, in the next falls decan. in the next decan. But, you know, in, um I believe it's fair to say in medieval astrology, they basically said it's exalted throughout the sign. So, and you know, what's also interesting about that is that the sun is in its fall in this decan at 19 degrees of Libra because it's exalted in Aries.
1: That's Crowley's sun degree. Is it really? Yeah. That's 19, de- 19 degrees of Libra. So his, his sun falls in this second and yeah. at that degree. Even. <laughs> sun and Saturn are
0: opposite in terms of their exaltation and fall. That kind of makes sense in a way because yeah. sun is at the center of the solar system and Saturn marks the traditional boundary the traditional ending of what we
1: knew. And they're very opposite, just in that the sun is light and Saturn Mm -hmm. is darkness.
0: Mm -hmm, And heaviness. And so we'll be talking a lot in this discussion of the Three of Swords about Saturn's powers to limit and to bind for good or for ill. In terms of the concept of sorrow, you can think of Saturn as the teacher whose lessons come about through limiting, through saying no, through saying you've gone too far. You can see how that's a negative, sorrowful experience in the natural exuberance of life to come up against a wall like that or against a rejection. A boundary. Yeah, doesn't feel good. Hence, that's a form of sorrow.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting in terms of the Kabbalistic aspects of Binah being the mother And the will to form because you can think of form itself as a restriction placed on force. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the top of the pillar of severity, and restriction is a severity Mm -hmm. to be endured. That's right, but it's not a meaningless one. You know, it's sort of like
0: when, you know, in the process of conception, the moment the sperm hits the ovum, the ovum puts up an impenetrable wall,
1: (laughs) you know, for all others. It limits the options. Yeah, and it's also true that Saturn is associated with Kronos and time. Time itself is a restrictive force. And life itself, birth, has death. The gift of life is, includes death. Includes death. Y- y- right. You know, you can't have one without the other. Life's result is death. And I suppose here, you know, Bina as the mother is more of the dark, sterile mother in that regard than right. the bright, fertile mother. You Nephthys know. this rather than Isis.
0: <laughs> we talked about the Two of Swords as being associated with the scales of justice. And I think the three of swords is especially associated with the sword of justice, pruning away what's not needed, and exacting the discipline that creates harmony, however painful that may be. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure we've talked about this at some point. But there is a connection between Venus and Saturn that is not wholly antagonistic
1: Yeah, there's a lot about that in the episode on the uh, Justice or Adjustment card because of Saturn's exaltation in the sign.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's something about, you know, the beauty of music and how music has to be kept to time. A structure. Mm -hmm, To a structure, and Saturn provides that structure without which it would be meaningless and formless. Let's see. So this is 10 degrees to 19 degrees of Libra, and this is the final decan associated with the Queen of Swords. As well. And so here we see her in her no bullshit, cutting through the crap (laughs) aspect, her pruning. That's right. And so, those of you who have seen a Queen of Swords, you know, holding a mask or a head in her hand. Uh that's what this has to do with cutting through the masks of falsehood and often just cutting off the whole person while you're at it. I was reading yesterday and I saw Queen of Swords over and over, just people getting rid of persons in their life who were no good to them anymore. Queen of Swords is also interesting in that so many tarot readers specifically identify with her. I think she's associated with the INFJ of Myers-Briggs, and here we're talking about the J part of it, the judgment. (laughs) And the sort of like, okay, I gave you the benefit of the doubt, and now we're done. Burn yeah. me twice, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> this Deccan is associated, as we said, with Saturn and Libra, that means the associated majors are the world or universe, and justice or adjustment. And, you know, when we interpret Saturn Deccans, it's always a challenge of figuring out what the world or universe says about the minor card it's associated with. But... I think we tend to really concentrate on the fact that the the world or universe card always includes a bound off space, a place that is set aside for the crystallization of matter. And that's something that Saturn does. It sets things apart and then makes them heavy and solid. So what we're doing here is we're taking the potentials of thought and reducing the options, I guess. The... Three of Swords says that, no, you can't have everything. You have to choose. So when we were talking about in the Two of Swords, the journey of Libra as having to do with arriving at a crossroads or a challenge or an impasse, that was what happened at the Two of Swords. And now we're at the Three of Swords, where this has caused us a crisis. We're no longer holding two points of view equally in our mind. We have to come to some kind of decision and lean on one side or the other. There's a process of realization about it and a process of choice. And then eventually in the four, we'll come to accept or become resigned to that compromise or choice. But here, this is the moment where you have to uh, put up or shut up. The world is, I think what's represented as a wreath or a boundary or, you know, an oval shape, vesica piscis, whatever it is that represents the closing off of this area where no more may enter. It defines the boundary. And somewhere within that, the sword of justice is going to have its way. So you're alone in an enclosed space with a sharp sword, which is an experience I have had many times taking my son to fencing tournaments. It's not fun. (laughs) We started going into the Kabbalistic material, the sorrows of Binah. You talked about the contrast between Binah as the bright, fertile mother and Bina is the dark,
1: monstrous mother. Right. Ama versus Ama. Ama being the bright mother and Ama the dark mother. And the only difference between those two words is the letter I, the yod. Which I thought was interesting. So the, the, the yode, the, the fertile mother is the one fertilized by the seed.
0: <laughs> oh, interesting. When I think of the, um, very popular, you know, the Percy Jackson series, which a lot of young people are reading these days, one of them is called, um, Sea of Monsters. And that's this card. Yeah, this definitely. Is, you know, the, uh, the, the unknowable abyss from which horrible things emerge.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think actually. Uh, the dark mother, Ama and Bina, in relation to this card, somewhere it was uh, said that from the womb of chaos, there's a passion to create, but its children are monsters. Yes, that's in Crowley. Yeah, know, like, darkness and heaviness of the womb of chaos. Right. And by its children are monsters. You know, it just means that the things that are born from this are unpleasant subjectively unpleasant. Even if unpleasant. they're necessary and extremely valuable, they're not easy. Or They may be divine children, but we can be afraid of them nonetheless.
0: When we talked about this in the Ace of Swords a little bit, Binah is the kind of wisdom that has to apply the bright ideas of Chokmah to real life, where they come up against the constraints of all the things that we deal with as mortal people. Part of attaining that wisdom is figuring out what is not included in that insight. So, you know, I'm kind of going back to the idea on the Tree of Life that Chokmah and Bina, wisdom and understanding are the parents of beauty, and beauty awakens the kingdom. But in order for them to create beauty, they have to balance lightness and darkness. You can't just have the impulse to create you have to have a vessel and you have to have a way of saying this is the limits of that organism. Because if you don't, you have cancer. <laughs> you have unchecked. And this is Bina in Yetzirah. We're going to be getting into some fairly negative characterizations of Bina when we go through the thought meanings. But But this is a fundamental principle that in the world of formation where there always has to be a shell for the nut. <laughs> there always has to be a container for the idea. There always has to be a
1: vessel for the impulse to manifest in the world. We can um, mention for the, the virtue and the vice of Bina. Interestingly enough, there is a vice. The virtue is silence. So again, that concept of silence, which I can understand in relation to this card, and it's silence on all levels of being, not just the physical. It's interesting that there is a vice because it's above the abyss and there's some question of, well, can there really be a vice up there? Uh
0: right, but exactly. Non- but n- nonetheless, nonetheless, Let's blame the
1: mother for the original sin, right? Yeah, <laughs> nonetheless, there is one, and mm-hmm. uh it's avarice. Gareth Knight talks about the vice as avarice as being Something to do with obsession with form,
0: Mm -hmm. which
1: I thought was kind of interesting.
0: Obsession with form as avarice.
1: Right. If you think about avarice as desiring things, Mm -hmm. I guess you could call it an obsession with form. Yeah. Could also be an obsession
0: with status in a way, you know, the things that signal your achievement rather than
1: the achievement itself. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a kind of a materialism.
1: Another interesting thing he said, and I haven't really had time to dig too much into this wormhole, but he mentions that Bina is associated with stellar magic, and especially with the constellations Ursa Major and Minor. Which interesting. I thought was interesting, and I haven't really had time to dig much into it, but he says that Ama, the Dark Mother, especially, was very important in this, uh, the stellar magic that was part of the, uh, Samothracian mysteries. So they were a mystery cult of Samothrace, and mm-hmm. they worshipped a Dark Mother among other, some other gods, but that was one of their major, um, ones and maybe because of the pole star well i did think of polaris Mm -hmm. which is there Mm -hmm. the owl nebula is there which Mm. i thought was interesting just because of athena and and wisdom and 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 that um thing and then the story of the ursa major and minor the great bear and the little bear involved uh z- of course philandering zeus as almost <laughs> all mythologies seem to involve does. philandering zeus <laughs> but anyway uh the nymph callisto took a vow to you know be pure and chast and that. <laughs> and be part of artemis's tribe and of course zeus came down from wherever he comes from and she couldn't resist his his powers of seduction and uh got pregnant and was full of shame and was cast out by the nymphs of Artemis for her becoming pregnant. And then, of course, Hera finds out and someone, um, it's never clear who, whether it's Hera or whether it's Artemis, uh, turns her into a bear. Or it might have even, it's even said sometimes that Zeus did it to hide her from Mm. Hera's. Anyway, regardless of who turns her into a bear, it's, it all turns very tragic. Before this, she had given birth to Zeus's child and her son comes across this bear in the woods and kills it because he's afraid, you know, that the bear is going to attack him. And when he kills her, she turns back into his mother and he Mm -hmm. realizes what he's done. And I actually see a parallel to that story in this card, because for me, this card is often about the regrets Mm -hmm. that you have. When you see your weaknesses and the mistakes you made and they can't be taken back, even though you can learn from them and it's valuable, they always come at a point when it's too late to make good, Mm -hmm. you can only go forward with what you learned. And it's a very, very painful lesson of regret. If you didn't
0: have that lesson, if you could undo it, if you could control Z like
1: everything in your life, then you wouldn't learn. Right.
0: In the same way. You yes, become... it's the,
1: uh, learning through suffering or the hard way. Right. <laughs> but that's how the lesson sticks. I'm really interested in this idea of Bina as stellar magic, though. It makes a lot of sense because she it is does. sky and sea. And that this was one of the mm-hmm. things that I wanted to look more into and a yeah. wormhole I wanted to follow <laughs> and I haven't had a chance to yet.
0: But also not just the fact that Bina is both the sky and the sea, as we see in like the chariot card and, and – Ever so many sort of instances of her as the sea, but the idea that planetary uh, magic is the magic of wandering planets. Yep. But Bina, these are fixed stars, right? So stellar magic is something very different. It's like if you create a talisman that channels the energy of a fixed star, that's for life. Right. So, or if you have a star on a sensitive point on your birth chart, you know, that is something that never gets Better or worse, it's always there affecting your life. And that's Bina for you, permanent. You know, it's written in Sharpie, (laughs) fixed. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, Austin in his really wonderful, if you all have 36 faces, this is one of my favorite chapters, the two links in a chain chapter. It's about, um, this Deccan and the idea that the three of swords isn't just about heartbreak. It's about contracts. And after reading that chapter, the Two Links in a Chain chapter, that really changed my interpretation of this card. It really helped me understand that this card is about realizations. It's about understanding. It's about making commitments for better or for worse. And the talismans, Coppock points out, that you can make under this Deccan are the most long-lasting because they have the power of, Saturn, of Saturn. Right. Double right. Saturn. <laughs> Exalted Saturn. So you better be sure <laughs> you know what you want. <laughs> right.
1: I can see why he associates the card or the Deccan with things like marriage and legal mm-hmm. contracts and bindings, vows.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They can even
1: be vows to yourself. Right. Which you do not want to
0: break. <laughs> this is a very magical card generally, but I was just reading in Six Ways, which I was telling about Aidan Wachter's new book. And he was talking about ways that you can sort of increase your magical capacity as a person. And he said, you know, choose something that almost doesn't matter. Like, you know, I'm going to put on my left shoe before my right and treat it like it matters. Like the point is that you made up your mind to do it and you're going to do it no matter what. And that commitment is in the nature of a magical contract. And it strengthens mindfulness. Exactly. It allows you to choose your path rather than just
1: sort of being
0: asleep and accepting whatever comes. Yeah.
1: It gets you out of autopilot.
0: Right. That's it. The decanic imagery associated with this, I think... Is pretty key in how the idea of marriages and contracts came up for
1: this Deccan Because I have to laugh at the two links of a chain yeah, idea of the marriage and the old ball and, and chain, chain <laughs> as we like to say. Exactly, exactly. I couldn't resist. There's a real truth in yeah. that. <laughs> so uh, you're gonna carry that weight a long time. <laughs> The Picatrix
0: image, it says a black man, uh, by which we don't know whether they mean by race or someone who is, you know, just dark in color, and a bridegroom having a joyous journey, and that the signification is tranquility, joy, abundance, and good living. Um, which isn't what you think of right, when you see this card. <laughs> right. And in fact, I believe that the Golden Dawn took those Deccan images and switched, I think, the two and three or the three and four because they just could not handle how like weird this was in context of the card in agrippa it's two men furious and wrathful and a man in a comely garment sitting in a chair which is odd three three men sitting in the chair or so there's two the, men plus a man uh, and sitting in a chair a well-dressed man sitting in a chair
1: okay. <laughs> so three they needed an oxford comma after wrathful <laughs> Uh, indignation against the
0: evil and quietness and security of life with plenty of good things. So mm, I think there is a theme there of, you know, again, securing justice so that
1: you can have safety and security and enjoy life. Well, you know, enjoying life, it's important to enjoy life, but you wouldn't do that without experiencing the opposite of that.
0: The security that
1: goes with a
0: commitment is intangible, but necessary. I mean, a lot of, you know, at the point where I was the age of thinking about getting married, a lot of people, friends in my circle, were thinking about the same things. And you would ask yourself, why get married? What's even the point? But after getting married, it's indefinably different, right? There's a sense that nobody's going anywhere. And yeah, yeah, it's defined. <laughs> right. There's, there's a shift in the meaning somehow. and And I think it's really hard to pin down and explain to people why marriage matters. But you know, I've my whole life been a same sex marriage advocate, because there's something different about marriage. It's different from a civil union. It's different from living together. There's different from it's partnership, a true commitment. It is and it's legally different. It's harder to get out of it's harder to get out of but it, it means something. And it when both people do it, it's, it's a recognition, not only that as we saw in the two of swords that both parties are equal but they wish
1: to create a third thing a right. relationship the marriage a union. there's me there's you and there's our that's right our and it's bigger and Bauer more important. binding <laughs>
0: Because it's more important and its own thing, rather than my interests or your interests, it gives you a reason to make sacrifices or to set aside your own point of view for something that's bigger.
1: And I do see this card as being somewhat indicative of renunciation of some sort. Yeah. So marriage is a renunciation of your singlehood. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly.
0: You forsake all others. That can be painful, but it's especially painful if you chose the wrong person. You know, which Mm -hmm. is what we see very often in relationship readings with this card that somebody chose the wrong person. And now it's the pain of having to break that contract.
1: Or even the pain of choosing the right person and then being unfaithful. Right. I mean, the guilt and shame that people can feel over them making that mistake. Right. And breaking that vow, both to their partner and to themselves. The realization when it hits you that this
0: is a thing that cannot be undone. Right. Or the realization that the thing you did is, is the symptom of what's gone wrong, yeah. right? which it so often is. Oh, Etea. I should get to Etea. Yeah, he doesn't have a ton to say about this either, but he says uh, this card, especially if you find it next to card number 20. I didn't look up what card number 20 is, but it says is a sign that fortune will leave you, will always leave you if you continue to abuse its gifts. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of finger wagging in that one. Hmm. And if it's if it comes up reversed, you will regret an imprudent initiative, not only for yourself, but for the person who you've compromised by your foolishness. Yes, that makes sense. So it's like a world of pain for everybody. Plenty to go around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I found another cardamantic meaning uh, interpretation that said the three of spades, which is obviously the playing card equivalent, is a symbol of weakness and resignation and evokes the degradation of a situation and that its negative aspects can be balanced by other cards like a short term disease. And, and curiously, they said that most of the spades refer to temporary events and don't engage the consultant for a long time, which is kind of the opposite of what we take from this card. Mm but i think spades and cups and playing card lore are more passing than the uh diamonds and clubs anyway all right so um are we ready to look at card by card sure okay so <laughs> the famous yes three swords and a heart that's straight from the solabuska uh version yep okay so so yeah we have The clouds, the rain clouds, which seem to me like a real Bina reference, Mm -hmm. you know. And interestingly enough, along with the Eight of Wands, this is the only Minor in Rider-Waite-Smith that has no people in it. There's a sort of a, I don't know, a purity about it, I guess.
1: Impersonal quality. Yeah. Because I think this card has that, you know, it's it's a more universal sorrow than an individual sorrow. Right.
0: It's not personal. Yeah. And you can think of the heart is a stylized heart. It doesn't look much like a human heart. Interestingly, that Eight of Wands I just mentioned is another one of those double Kabbalistic cards. It's a doubly mercurial one mm-hmm. also on the pillar of form the rain is something that i've experienced a lot with this card i sometimes just get it to mean rain but it's specifically i think you know in this writer Wait smith three of swords you could think of that as a reference to the wateriness of bina and even to the fertility of bina mm. you know the idea that the earth has to be fecundated by the rains into every life a little rain must fall yes there's that as well it makes me think of the fact that as people we don't really like rainy days they make us depressed as compared to a beautiful sunny day we think of a rainy day as like not a subjectively enjoyable experience but it's necessary
1: interesting that um there's a I guess you'd call the superstition that if someone gets married on a rainy day, it's yes, good, that's it's actually good luck, good luck yeah. for the marriage. So yeah. That's kind of interesting in terms of this card. Yeah,
0: people were telling us that when we got married because we had every weather, <laughs> every weather, and then a beautiful sunset and fireworks. But yeah, that's, I've, I've heard that. That's some people say it's the ancestors weeping for joy. Some people say it's the gods sending down their blessing. So we didn't have a ton to say about it. He just said three swords piercing a heart, cloud and rain behind. It signifies removal, absence, delay, division rupture, dispersion, and all that the design signifies naturally being too simple and obvious to call for specific enumeration, reverse mental alienation, error, loss, distraction, disorder, confusion. So on his part, there seems to be a, you know, when he says all that the design signifies naturally being too simple and obvious, he just means you have a pain in your heart. Mm. You're sad. But it's interesting that the reversal includes mental alienation error loss distraction because that would imply that the upright version has to do with a kind of like concentration or focus or realization right you know
1: well that makes total sense because crowley refers to the card as the trance of sorrow and he's talking about in Mm -hmm. terms of the buddha and It makes me think of samadhi and enlightenment and how that comes about, and that Mm -hmm. requires some concentration. (laughs) Yeah. Two, three, and four of swords as cards of Libra do
0: have to do with the clearing of the mind in some way. And the three of
1: swords perhaps specifically has to do with the recognition of suffering, Right. So the story of the Buddha is that how he became enlightened was through contemplation of suffering and old age, sickness and death. How he realized the inevitability of that and that everything was suffering. The story of him seeing for the first time an elderly and infirm
0: person. And that seems so much of the nature of Saturn. Right. The lessons of the
1: old man. The sorrow of the Buddha... You know, as a universal sorrow, rather than an individual sorrow, it's important to remember that this is the sorrow that leads, it's the suffering that leads to the end of suffering. The clear seeing of that leads to the end of sorrow. It's almost bittersweet. This design of
0: the heart with the swords in it, besides being from the Solobuska, which is 15th century, there's a tradition, a Christian tradition specifically, of the heart pierced by seven swords. And that image has to do with the seven sorrows of Mary, the mother of Christ. Mm. I'm going to read Paul Husson's little passage here on this liturgical symbol. The seven sorrows of Mary were the grim temple prophecy of the fate of the infant Jesus. That's one. The family's flight into Egypt. Mary's temporary loss of the youthful Jesus while he was arguing with the rabbis in the temple, the road to Calvary, the crucifixion itself, the removal of the body from the cross and the body's entombment. So there was actually a feast day for Mary's seven sorrows in the 15th century. And that may have, you know, influenced the design of the card. Seven being a number of the goddess, too. And I think there's a, you know, again, to sort of harken back to the idea of a a universal sorrows of motherhood, there is the separation from your child, there's the anxiety for your child, you know, God forbid, there's a loss of the child, you know, but there's Nothing but concern (laughs) as a parent, right? right? True for fathers as well, but traditionally, you know, this is the province of motherhood to be concerned with the child's little needs and large ones and never really quite be separated from them. It's almost like
1: a sorrow, not just of motherhood, but of womanhood in general. Mm -hmm. That carrying of the heart, you know? Yeah, yeah. In the relationship, which whatever it is, <laughs> true could be emotional
0: labor as a mother. It could also be, you know, the the curse of Eve. It could be the fact that every month we're reminded with pain and
1: suffering. <laughs> well, Curly, uh refers to the mourning of Isis as well. Yeah, know, after Osiris's dismemberment.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something about maternal compassion for suffering, and the fact that. The Mary figure is, as a religious icon, is someone people turn to for mercy across the world, you know, in a different way from the way they pray to the male godlike figures. To Mary, she's the one that people pray to for compassion, for relief, for help with their suffering as a mother, because she has that understanding of what it's like to go through the human experience. So there's another sort of Vina reference in terms of lived understanding. Yeah, and there's something when you look at the major arcana, the world and justice and Rider-Waite-Smith, uh, there's something about the nakedness of the world and the nakedness of the heart. You know, the fact that it's completely exposed and vulnerable. The protection of the the world wreath or the chain around the world is supposed to um, give you space to be that vulnerable, to be naked, to act as yourself. But that also exposes you to penetrating pain. All right, shall we move on to the thought card? Yeah. Ah, this is, looks, I always think
1: this looks like a George O'Keefe. <laughs> hmm, I can see that, yeah. yeah. In this card, the rose of the prior card is now, in the Golden Dawn description, it says, it's cut asunder and no white rays, hmm. emitting, emitting no white it's rays. So the, delights, the light has been put out.
0: <laughs> and there's a real sense of motion in this card, in a mm. way there isn't in the two. You, know, you feel like you're literally falling through
1: the abyss. Yeah, right. Those dark clouds and those pinwheeling forms are there, but they're really... Chaotic and broken up. I have a sort of quote from the Golden
0: Dawn here that's interesting. You know, they talk about discord and strife, mirth and evil pleasures, but also faithfulness and promises and honesty and money transactions. So again, there's those two sides, you know, the, the difficulty of the experience, but the firmness of the contract that holds you to it. This is the sword of the magician and also the ace of swords. You yep.
1: same, one and the same. It's almost as if that central sword is hitting the rose, or maybe it's even protecting it from the other two swords coming in from the sides.
0: It's a bit it's ambiguous, hard to, it's hard isn't to it? Say.
1: I have read that that rose being, you know, ripped apart the way it is, is symbolic of forcing of the mysteries and the misuse of the intellect in a kind of form of cold calculation, um, mm-hmm. in order to get at these occult secrets you just tear the thing apart i see and also the pinwheels
0: have been dismembered as well so uh the same pinwheels that we began to see in the two the disjointedness of thoughts or lack of right thinking the white rose in general is an interesting symbol in terms of the purity of intention that's associated with white is it truly white though it doesn't really look like it's sort of it's almost pale green (laughs) yeah hard to say Yellow-green. Not sure you can trust the color uh, correction. Yeah, you probably can't. Yeah, yeah. But this is a, you know, kind of a monochromatic card in a way, you know, because the the emphasis is the darkness of Binah. What are the um,
1: shapes that we see in the background, the sort of folds? I don't know what they are. I think they're clouds, but Mm -hmm. maybe not. It could be ripples in the Sea of Binah. To me, it, it really looks like birth when I was actually reading those little essays on truth we mentioned in the last episode, mm-hmm. Crowley doesn't mention this in Book of Thoth, but there is an essay in Little Essays Towards Truth called Sorrow. Uh, okay. And um it's, it's, it's very interesting and definitely applies to this card. So, you know, Crowley did a lot of Buddhist mm-hmm. studying. He was, very familiar with that. But this essay is really cool, because Mm -hmm. it kind of talks a little about the idea of sorrow, and that life is suffering, and how to reconcile this with what he was taught from the transmission of the book of the law, which that existence is pure joy, Mm. and how to reconcile those two kind of opposing doctrines. won't read the whole thing, but a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. The aspiration to become a master is rooted in the trance of sorrow. This trance is not simple and definite. Indeed, it commonly begins in a limited selfish form. The imagination cannot pierce beyond terrestrial conditions or the sense of self grasp more than the natural consciousness. One thinks at first no more than this. There is nothing possible that is good enough for me. Only as one grows by initiation does one approach the asymptote Sabe pi dukkam. So dukkam, dukkha in Pali language, the, uh, means suffering. Mm-hmm. So sabe pi dukkam means everything is suffering or all is suffering or life is suffering. That's, uh, you know, the, the core, kind of the core of the Buddhist teaching is that nothing is satisfactory and you know to to cling to mm-hmm. to the things that you find pleasant and push away the things that you find unpleasant that's what causes suffering right so anyway he goes on for a little while we can't really read the whole thing but i do recommend that uh people check it out he, he goes on to say, but all this is in remote indeed from the simplicity of the affirmation of the book of the law. Remember, all ye, that existence is pure joy, that all the sorrows are but as shadows. They pass and are done, but there is that which remains. There's an addendum that is uh, really cool. And it says, furthermore, to the normal or dualistic consciousness, it is precisely the shadows which pass and are done, which constitute perceptibly what man sees is in fact just that which obstructs the rays of light. This is the justification for the Buddha saying everything is sorrow. In that word, everything, he is most careful to include specifically all those things which men count joyous. Mm. And this is not really a paradox, for to him, all reactions which produce consciousness are ultimately sorrowful as being disturbances of the perfection of peace, or, if you prefer it, as obstructions to the free flow of energy." Joy and sorrow are thus to him relative terms, subdivisions of one great sorrow, which is manifestation. We need not trouble to contest this view. Indeed, the shadows of which our book speaks are those interferences with light caused by the partiality of our apprehension. That whole essay really sums up his thoughts on this card, which being a master himself and having his son in this Deccan, Mm -hmm. I'm sure he gave a lot of thought to it.
0: I think um there's something really important about the wounding of the rose because, you know, and you, you get, we'll talk about this when we get to your card as well, but the heart has to be cracked open. Right. right? That's where right. the light gets mm-hmm. in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know is another U2 lyric that's a heart that is broken is a heart that is open. Unless you can feel that the pain of other people, you are not living as one with other people. Right. right? You know, I, I remember that um, I suffered a great loss when I was young. When I was 14, my mom died. And, you know, at that age, You know, I was just kind of stunned. And I remember I didn't really cry for like seven years. You know, there was just nothing. It's a hard age for something like that to happen. It is a hard age and it was just confusing and I didn't know how I was. It was a mix of how are you supposed to feel versus how you actually feel. And I couldn't actually feel anything. But then I remember when it all changed was I went to another funeral. It was actually the mother of my brother-in-law at the time. And I remember walking in there and suddenly the tears just came rushing out. And it was like, suddenly I was part of the human community again, because I understood the pain of my sister-in-law, you know, and I understood it was not something to celebrate, but it was something that was necessary. And I think that this also, if you connect the air cards in general to the journey of the fool This is the moment where the fool trips and stumbles and falls over the cliff. It has to happen sometime, yeah. you know, and which is particularly interesting because one way of thinking of the cliff is that moment in Binah before you tumble into the abyss. So literally, he could have fallen through the abyss of knowledge to gain wisdom and understanding as a person. So you said this is Crowley's son was in this? Yeah, 19 degrees of uh, Libra. You know, and that's interesting that what influence Saturn must have had on his life, both as a, you know, as a limiter and a malefic, but also as a patron
1: of magic. Right. Yeah, definitely. You want a good relationship with Saturn if you want to be a magician. You have to have some kind of relationship with Saturn,
0: right? (laughs) like it or not. And in his text, he says, she represents the darkness of the great sea... The card is dark and heavy. There's an intense lurking passion to create, but its children are monsters.
1: Monsters, yeah. Secrecy. Right, the things you learn through this card are valuable treasures, but they hurt.
0: Yeah. Secrecy is here, and perversion. And then he says, this is quite beautiful phrase, storm broods under implacable night. Mm. so um onto your card tabula mundi three of swords one of my favorite three of swords really
1: yeah thank you mm-hmm. i uh you know when i was designing this card i wanted to do something that was um different than the ubiquitous yeah. <laughs> pierced heart and say the same thing in a different way right not um, another not just another tattoo <laughs> <laughs> right right and i think i came up with something that says the same thing but in a different way, that the pierced heart versus the cracked heart jar. Yeah,
0: something about the colors in this card are so effective. I think it's the brilliance of the
1: heart jar. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah the background. it really evokes a sense of melancholy. Yeah. For me especially. You know, when I did the black and white drawing for this card, I had a premonition of the death of someone I love. You know, when they say it's universal sorrow – versus individual sorrow, it doesn't mean the individual doesn't feel the sorrow. It right. means that there's like a higher, but sure, as an individual, you're heartbroken and crushed. But mm-hmm. then there's that universal sorrow where you realize that this is a truth of life that you have one chance to do it right. And
0: yeah, like with this card, there's always you can see in your, your in your card, the oval shape of the world. That's also a reminder that this life, you know. Yes, you may come back. Yes, you may have many lives, but this one is special, right? Because you're here, right? Exactly, <laughs> right? right. So you're
1: here and you, and now you and might get another chance some other time, but not this time not around. This time, not <laughs> right. this time. Right. you gotta wait, right? And who knows right. how long? True, you might be an ant for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Now, my experience has not included deaths, but it has often included that sort of general recognition of mortality. Right.
1: Going back into the actual meaning of the card and Mm -hmm. the the symbols of the card, we have the Ouroboros again from Mm -hmm. the universe card. And Mm -hmm. again, it's that container, that boundary, the structure. And we've got the those gears on either side, those wheels, that they're kind of like a reminder that Not only that life goes on, but that, you know, that image of grinding gears grinding along kind of is trying to say that sorrow comes to us all eventually, part of the wheel, you know?
0: Right. It's no longer a shell like it is in your universe card. It's more like a frame. And it's sort of like, it's a way of looking at the world. It's a knowledge that you now have that will be there even though it's invisible. Right.
1: It's a structure that you can work with going forward, you know, it's a hard lesson to learn. It's the grief that leads to perception. You know, it's knowing your own weakness, and maybe where you could do better. It's not a painless recognition to see what your shortcomings are. You've
0: got a planet Saturn up there above the uh, canopic jar. Yeah, we
1: got to have Saturn in the double Saturn card. Yes. So yeah, we've got the we've got the jar and the, the crack in it that, you know, might speak a little both to the the piercing and and the pain, but also that that forcing of the mysteries, then the also the opening of the heart that can happen. The heart itself is perched on that tripod of swords, the tripod of swords. It was inspired by an illustration I saw of the tripod of the Oracle of Delphi, the Pythia, the, the, mm-hmm. the Cirrus who sat on this tripod that was above a crack in the earth, letting out noxious vapors and fumes that put her into a trance. Mm-hmm. And from there she would, you know, give her, utterances and prophecies she was high yep there's a lot there in that oracle of delphi story that that really to me speaks a lot about this card that that knowing of the mysteries and that forcing of the mysteries through the poisonous fumes and it was inscribed over the uh oracle's place know thyself Mm. and this card for me is all about knowing yourself and truly seeing your own weaknesses, even if it causes you pain, truly seeing the truth of what's inside you.
0: That's interesting. Also, the relationship with Saturn as the patron of magic, one of the, you know, I mean, there's an argument for several gods as patrons of magic, but Saturn in particular has to do with the esoteric and the secrets and, you know, things that are hard to understand. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, your oracle really speaks to that. The idea that you have to alter your consciousness, you have to crack the heart, you have
1: to inhale the vapors or whatever it is that you need to do to transcend right the right. mortal realm. Where did I read this card described as transcendence of the natural order?
0: Yeah, that's a Crowley thing. I think so, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. But it also, you know, this also reminds me of the fact that when you read the literature of the paranormal, people who are... Adept at perceiving the strange and the unusual and the non ordinary realities are people who have been through massive trauma very right. often. And yeah, that's this card, right. right? Forcing the mysteries open. Exactly. They are often, you know, people who have experienced unimaginable things and yet, mm-hmm. you know, they received this gift, you know, if right. you want to call it that yeah. in exchange, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. You know, many of them would be happy to give it back. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's uh, the magical shaman sickness, you know, or trauma could be associated with this card.
1: And I also think it's interesting the whole story of Delphi and uh, the the pythia being a form of the word python, and it was because of the story of it means to rot. Pythos mm-hmm. mm-hmm. to rot and the idea of the the rotting serpent because um the story how the uh, serpent was pursuing Leta as she wanted to give birth to the twins Apollo and Artemis and Hera, of course, because of Zeus's <laughs> infidelity, <laughs> was upset and caused the python to chase her around so that she could not give birth anywhere where there was light. She had to give birth in darkness. The python was killed and killed there at Delphi, and that's where the, the name. Comes from, but I just like that idea of great dark serpent, yeah. python, and the, and the the rotting, the, the serpent that comes from the womb of chaos. You know, when you think of these cards of the universe, you know, the, the great one of the night of time. Mm-hmm. There's there's usually a, a serpentine quality to that card, yeah. the universe. Yeah, actually, Crowley, when he talks about this card, he refers to the fourteenth aether, and this, that's another thing. Obviously too long to read, but I did put a mm-hmm. quote in book M about that that I thought really kind of spoke to that. It gave, it evoked that, that feeling, that quality, um, of this card really well, at least for me. Um, and this is the uh, excerpt from it. It says, there is a veil of such darkness before the aether that it seems impossible to pierce it. But there is a voice saying, Behold, the great one of the night of time stirreth, and with his tail he churneth up the slime, and of the foam thereof Shall he make stars? And in the battle of the python and the sphinx, shall the glory be to the sphinx, but the victory to the python? Now the veil of darkness is formed of a very great number of exceeding fine black veils, and one tears them off one at a time. <laughs> and the voice says, There is no light, or knowledge, or beauty, or stability in the kingdom of the grave, whither thou goest. And the worm is crowned, and all thou wast hath he eaten up, and all thou art is his pasture until tomorrow and all that thou shalt be is nothing thou who would enter the domain of the great one of the night of time this burden must thou take up Wow. I mean, can't you just feel that? Yeah. It's just like, and the hits veils, you right here, those, those the tearing away of, the, of the, veils, the veils. That's
0: in his three of swords. Yeah. Those, you know, Th- that's layers. what you see mm-hmm. there, probably
1: those yeah. black veils that yeah. he speaks of being, being, torn being torn away. Right. That, that removal of the illusion. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it reminds me of that. This is harkens back to, to see the, major. the su- to
1: see the truth of suffering and the truth that right. everything, even joy, can be thought of as suffering. Right, but suffering can also be thought of as joy if you look at it from the other direction.
0: Right. Do you remember we talked about chaos as the child of time and necessity? Yes. At one time, and we've talked here about the womb of chaos, but that's a fascinating notion because time, of course, is correlates with Saturn. And in a, in a sense, you could say that necessity correlates with fate or fortune, you know, with Jupiter. So, you know, these two, this pressure of time and the inevitability of the stars and their courses leads in some level to disruption and chaos. You know, I think that you have to think of chaos both as the disruption in our orderly lives that you know, is represented by the three of swords, but also as a place of possibility and connection, of possibility of new things emerging. And also I think you might be able to say that in order for the gifts of balance that happen in Libra to take place, you have to perceive the flaw. <laughs> right. Right. You have to see the chaos in order to Create your structure to contain it or to make sense of it or resolve it or reconcile its problems. The worm in the apple. And so you have, um, elements from both cards there. You have the gears of the, uh, universe and the, yeah, um, and the, the Ouroboros and Mm -hmm.
1: the, uh, planet Saturn and,
0: and you have the the jar jar from, from adjustments. Uh, scales interesting, and you know it's the uh the tripod that you drew also looks a bit like one of the scales you know the chains and pan of the scales of justice a little bit
1: great if you notice around the rim of the tripod it does almost look like a chain, yeah mm-hmm. which brings me to mind to what you were saying about uh Austin Copic's two links and a two chain, links the and old a chain, yeah. And chain. <laughs> right yeah, we should do the colors colors, yes, so uh the The main color of the card is dark brown. Mm. And then we have all the colors of Libra, as we've already covered, the blues and the greens, Mm -hmm. emerald blue, deep blue green, and pale green. And then we have all the colors of Saturn, the indigo black, blue black, and black red blue. And the rose color of the jar, does that come from somewhere? Well, for me, it's not one of the colors of the scale. But mm-hmm. I chose to include it anyway because the heart jar and the idea of Bina, the crimson mm-hmm. of Bina, I figured it was appropriate enough and evocative yeah. enough.
0: <laughs> I'm really glad you did.
1: <laughs> it wouldn't have been the same if the jar had been blue or green. It wouldn't right. have evoked right. that sense of a heart cracking open. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't have really felt it. Right. right. And since, you know, red is a color of Bina, I figured it was, it was okay to put it in there. <laughs> yeah. Artistic license. Yes. yes.
0: How often do you get this
1: one? Thankfully not a lot. Yeah, me it's neither. It's <laughs> not one, obviously, that anyone really likes to see, even though I am well aware that it can be a very positive card, and I've even gotten it as a positive in, in a in a positive sense before. But it's always difficult because you're like, oh, The painful valuable lesson. (laughs) Great!
0: (laughs) I remember one day when we were doing those haikus, you got like the Three of Swords and the Nine of Cups together and you did a haiku about like happiness and sadness and it took me like forever to guess. But it does have that sort of very direct opposition to that card, you know, Saturn versus Jupiter. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't get this one a lot, but when I get it, it rains a lot.
1: <laughs> a really, the great sea.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, it's the, the water is going to either come from the sky or come from the sea or cycle between them. But I had a really, really interesting uh, experience with this last year. Gosh, is it last year already? Yeah, it's almost a year ago. Chris Warnock had led a dreamworking working. Um, in the summer last year where basically that he, we could print out paper talismans and do a sort of an offering up to dream. There was a very auspicious election for it. Mm-hmm. And I am not a person who lucid dreams often at all. I dream a ton, but lucid dreams do not come often. Um, I hadn't had one in probably two years at that point. You could ask for either a prophetic dream or a lucid dream. And I asked for a lucid one. Anyway, so I got this card that morning. And I did the dream working, very Saturnian, (laughs) kind of magical practice. And then that night, I went lucid for just a moment. And the thing that happened in my dream was that I was walking across Smith campus, which is a place where I sometimes work, and it started raining. And, you know, normally I've mentioned before the weather is gray, overcast in my dreams, but it started raining and the fact that it was raining woke me up within the dream cool right so you know it, it was the the magical saturn working it was the rain of the three of swords and then the rain that cracks you open and wakes you up that was really interesting i've gotten it the day i signed my book contract my most oh, recent book contract excellent I
1: got that. that's good for contracts yeah, yeah. and may uh, it mean
0: it'll be in print a long time
1: <laughs> i sure hope so <laughs>
0: By the way, that's Tarot Correspondences, available on Amazon, due out in October. Um, <laughs> and then I also got it on, gosh, on November 11th, 2016, after the election, and I was just not doing very well because of the results of that. But again, you know, every time I've gotten it, it's been something that you had to realize, something that needed something to be- Something that you had to accept. Exactly. Like it or not. Like it or not. All righty. Let us sum it up. We've talked about this card as
1: the many kinds of sorrow, including maternal sorrow, the sorrows of Bina. Talked about Saturn and um, its role as both initiator and destroyer. It's exaltation in the sign of Libra, where the sun has fallen, and its massive power to bind and to teach. We talked about form- and severity as a restriction on force. Mm -hmm. We talked about the Queen of
0: Swords, her connection to this card as the severer of ties and the seer through of bullshit.
1: (laughs) Off with his head. Off with his head. I think Crowley says about her, she castrates him through the mind or something like that. (laughs)
0: I wish I could uh, remember it. Yeah. pretty good. We'll get another chance at it in a, yes, exactly. several weeks. <laughs> the Bina in Yetzira, understanding in
1: the world of formation. The dark mother Ama versus the bright, fertile mother Ama. The seven sorrows of Mary. The- Womb of chaos, its passion to create, but its children are monsters. <laughs> the forcing of the mysteries. Saturn and Kronos and time as a restrictive force. Mm-hmm. And how the result of life is death.
0: Life, it's a fatal condition.
1: <laughs> you have a terminal disease and it's called life. Yes. Sabe pidukum. Everything is suffering. Mm. The Versus Egypt. Existence is pure joy. Mm -hmm. The old ball and chain. (laughs) (laughs) the chain of the Ouroboros. Python and the Pythia and the axiom know thyself. And the double Kabbalistic um, magic of the number three. The sorrow that leads to the end of suffering and the enlightenment of the Buddha. The cracked jar and
0: the heavens opening to pour down the rain. Okay. All right. Thank you for staying with us through this sorrowful journey. We hope we're all a little bit wiser and that the wisdom you receive through this card informs your life going forward and helps you to recognize the preciousness of this moment on the earth, this one human lifetime. Uh, we will be back with, <laughs> with a, the much some less difficult, from the- <laughs> some rest from, from the trials of the three, uh, with the four of swords next week.